pray that you would do that every day of our life. Father, not just in the big ways and in third world countries, but also just how open our eyes to see how you would use us in our families, and how you would use us in our workplace, how you would use us even in the grocery store or at the gas station. Father, help us to walk in step with you and to, and to fulfill your calling on our life in these places. And Father, that's why we, we come back to your word. We come to your word every day of our life because we know that we need your guidance in our lives. We know we need your direction, your correction. But it's also why we gather here on Sunday morning as the body because we know together we need to hear your word spoken to us. And so we pray that you would do that now. As we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would you would speak to us clearly and powerfully through your word and that any of the different things that could possibly distract us, we know there's birds and planes and cars and dogs and all of these things, but also our own fears and frustrations and anxieties. Father, we just pray that none of that would hinder us from hearing you speak clearly and powerfully to us this morning. We pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we're not really starting a new series, and we're, we're it's, this is, I would say, kind of an addendum to the series we've been going through, but it's really just kind of a standalone message. Uh, I figured since I'm going to be gone for the next uh, couple weeks, uh, we might as well not start anything until I'm back. And so our passage this morning is Psalm 127. So if you have your Bibles with, you can open up to Psalm 127, and then I'll, I'll read the passage. And then, um, then we'll go through it. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. So there's, there are these different ways we can look at this passage. And, and one of the pictures that this passage paints, I think, is actually fairly stark and bleak. Uh, but it's, I think, a pretty clear picture of something that we see just in the world around us. Um, and the, the picture that this passage paints is, is of people living a sleepless, anxious life. Staying up late trying to get work done, getting up early trying to get work done and then while they're awake and while they're going about their day they're just constantly worried worried that something's going to happen to someone in their family worried that they might lose their job worried that they're just not doing enough and so while they're awake they they spend their day working 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 worrying 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 and, and in response to that charles spurgeon had a great little line and he says i do not envy your inquietude, which is a great, like, 18, you know, 
17th century word. I do not envy your inquietude. And it was interesting, as, uh, as I was preparing for my sermon this week, I was listening to a podcast, and I was listening to this podcast of these two uh, like super high-level CEO executive guys. They're like some of the most successful people in the world. And, and they were talking about all of the kind of work and worry that they see in, in the world around them, but also in their own lives. And, and just to kind of get a better picture of this, as far as I know, both of these men are, are atheists, right? They, they don't believe in God. They're probably more like anti-theists. They've kind of rejected God. And so they're having this conversation with each other about how much they see the world um, just working, kind of grinding it out, and just always kind of anxious and worried about whether they're doing enough or trying to figure out how to like get that next promotion or how to make the next dollar. Or they're always worrying about that. And they said, you know, we've, we've studied all of that and we've come to the conclusion that all of that anxious work, all of that worry, all of those sleepless nights maybe gains you 5 to 10%. And they said, and the, the really interesting thing is, is if you're willing to to just settle that 5 to 10% increase, you could get rid of all of the anxiety and all of the worry in your life if you're just willing to sacrifice 5 to 10%. And this is like high-level, most successful people in, in the world kind of a thing. And then what was really interesting, I just kind of my jaw dropped, is they, they got into this conversation after it. And again, there's a couple of atheists. Here's what they said. I just wrote it down. What would my life be like if I believed that my destiny was my destiny to have? What would my life be like if I already knew that the success, that my success or my family or my financial aspirations or whatever, if that already was there? Just imagine what it would be like if I knew that the outcome was predestined. How would I behave? How would that change my daily experience and the challenges and the ways I face concerns and worries? And, and I just, I kind of sat back and went, this is, it's incredible that we have these two high-level people, these two atheists, and what they're dreaming about, it's like, how comforting would life be if we believed that someone was in control? That, that our story was already written, or as the Psalms say, that, that every day of your life was written in the book of our God before you were even born. How much comfort would that bring? And, and I said to hear these atheists dreaming about that, thinking, man, if we could only know that this was the case, our life would be so much more free and less anxious. And yet here we are as Christians. And do we embrace it? Do, do, we, do we live that way? You know, most of us end up living this life that's kind of this sleepless, anxious life. And I think part of the reason we do that is because we, we have this thing hanging over our head where we realize that like, there's this possibility that we could waste our life. And that scares us. And we're worried that we could spend all of our days and all of our moments and get to the end and say, man, I just, I wasted my life. And, and there's something deep down inside of us that causes us to fear that, to fear that we're going to just blow all of our time and, and waste our life. And so because of that fear, we, we work and we work and we work and we worry and we worry. 
And then we come to our passage this morning, and it actually doesn't bring us immediate comfort in that, because the passage teaches us that you can waste your life. Uh, the, the most repeated word in this passage is vain. And that's not like vanity, it's talking about meaningless, pointless, or you could say a wasted life. And so it says, you can labor in vain. You can work in a meaningless, pointless way. You can stay awake, you can stay awake way late into the night, working, burning the midnight oil, and you can do that all in vain. Meaningless, pointless. And it says it's in vain, it's meaningless and pointless that you get up early in the morning and go to bed late at night and eat the bread of anxious toil. So it's clear that you actually can waste your life. Um, you, can, you can spend all of your days working really, really hard and get to the end and it was all meaningless and it was all pointless. You can live this life of just anxiety where, where you can't actually even enjoy the food in front of you or even enjoy your life or enjoy your home or enjoy your blessings, always trying to work and always worrying about what's going to happen. You can live that way and get to the end and it will still be meaningless and pointless and wasted. It's a, it's a pretty sobering reality. And, and one of the main points of this passage is this just reminder for us that the reality is most of our work and worry are not as effective as we think they are. They're not bringing about as much change as we think our work and our effort and our worry is actually bringing about. It, it reminds us that you can work 20 hours a day, 20 out of 24 hours a day, trying to figure out how to get by on four hours of sleep a night. You can do that, and it's not going to change anything. Um, you can be constantly worrying about your family or your job or your life or the bills or, or you can be worrying about all of those things constantly and it's not going to change anything. Uh, you can spend your days in that kind of sleepless, anxious toil and all that's going to result from that is a wasted life. And... And it kind of points to this reality, and I think it's, it should be uncomfortable for us, and that's okay, um, this reality I pointed to earlier, that, that for many of us, including myself, we, we kind of claim to be Christians, we claim to be worshipers of the one true God, but often we live like an atheist. We often live like we're the ones in control of our life and our destiny, and and we, we live like, like the world revolves around my work, my effort, my strategies, my planning, my, 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 me, me, me. And we don't live like a Christian, like there's a God in the universe ruling and reigning and, and watching over us. We don't actually live like God's watching over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head apart from his will. And so many of us claim to be Christians, we end up living our lives like atheists, and then because of that, we fall into that pattern of sleepless, anxious toil. And it's kind of a, it should be a trigger in us when we feel like we're falling into a pattern of this kind of sleepless, anxious life. It's a pattern that we are kind of turning away from these essential truths about God. And, and really the solution is, live like a Christian. <laughs> which is live by faith. 
um, live by faith each and every day, trusting that our sovereign God who rules and reigns over everything, he's watching over you in such a way that not even a hair is going to fall from your head apart from his will. And so we need to live like God's the one who does the building and God's the one who does the watching over your life. And so that's kind of like the flip side. You can look at this passage, you can see kind of the negative, like you can live this sleepless, anxious, meaningless life. Or the flip side of that is you can live like God's the one who's building your home and building your life. And like God's the one who's watching over you. And, uh, and that's not a meaningless and pointless life. And that's what we read. We see, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. And so it's this reminder, it doesn't matter how much you work, if the Lord's not blessing your work, it's all going to come to nothing. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're trying to work 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, if the Lord's not blessing it, it's all meaningless and pointless. And, and you can stay up late every night worrying about what's going to happen, worrying about your future, worrying about your kids, worrying about... And unless the Lord's actually watching over your life and watching over your business and your family and your kids, none of your worrying and watching will change anything because the Lord's the builder and, and the Lord's the watcher. And, and when we get that truth and then we get it kind of implanted like deep down in your soul, then it has to change the way we live each and every day. And, and it changes us in lots of ways, but it changes us in two ways that I want to point out this morning. And the first way that it has to change us is it has to, to cause us to live a grateful life. When we recognize that the Lord's the one that builds and the Lord's the one that watches over your life, we have to recognize that everything we have is a gift from God. And it's not the work of your hands. No matter what you want to think about it, it's not because you did anything to deserve it or you, you did it. You have it because God gave it to you as a gift. And so any good thing that you have in your life is a gift from God. And so we need to stop living like, well, I did this, and being ungrateful for it. Rather, we need to recognize that God gave that to you as a gift. So now live a grateful life and thank God every day. You see a blessing in your life, say, thank you, Lord. I don't deserve that, but I know you gave me this. Um, so the first response is a grateful life, and the second response is a is a humble life, I would say, because it, it, this truth reminds us that we're not as big of a deal as we think we are. Um, that, that all of our work and worry doesn't do as much as we think it does. That God's the one who's doing the work. He's blessing the work of our hand. And so it, it, it has to humble us and remind us that like, you're not as big and as important as you think you are. God's the one who's been, if you've built anything, it's because God built it. If you've watched over anything, well, it's because God watched over it. And so we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge our weakness, our inability, and then live this humble life, recognizing that God's the one who's blessing the work of our hands. He builds the house, he builds the city, he watches over them, and he builds everything, every other part of our life. And I, I thought, like, these are, these apply in a lot of different situations, but one of the ones that just kind of struck me this week is just remember, reminding us as a congregation of that truth, right? Like, it wasn't that long ago, 
Uh, I wasn't here for that, but where the church was in a pretty rough way, right? And, and we've come a long way from there. And we, we have a long way to go. But we've come a long way from there. And, and it would be easy for us to go, look at what we did. We saved this church. It was about to close the doors. It was about to die. We pulled together. We did this. And there, it's a reminder that you didn't do anything. God built this church. God's the one who's recovering this church. And so the fact that God is at work here and that this church hasn't closed the doors and is, and is coming to life is the fact that God is blessing the work of our hands. And so we should be grateful for that and humble for that. And it's also the reminder that when we look and we see like, man, we've got a long ways to go as a church yet. There's this temptation for us to go like, well, let's pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Let's, let's go this like sleepless, anxious toil. Let's build the church. And the reminder is, you, you, you can't build a church like an atheist. <laughs> you can't build a church pretending like God's not the one in control, like God's not the one building and growing and watching over the church. And so if we try to build the church that way, we will waste our time and our effort. Rather, we, we live, this truth kind of changes the way we do everything and how we, how we build the church. We just do what God has called us to do. We're faithful to that. And then we trust God to do the rest. And like that principle just kind of flows over into every other part of our life then. Because um, it's important to notice that this passage never tells us to stop working. It doesn't say just go home, sit on your recliner, sip on a coffee and say like, well, I just trust God to do the work. Um, actually, there's this great line from another old theologian from like the 18th century. He says, the Holy Spirit is not the patron of lazy and inert men. But he directs the minds of those who work to the providence and power of God. And so do you see this? Like, Christians are never called to be lazy. Uh, Christians are called to work hard, but we work hard by faith. And as we work, we work knowing that we have a God who's watching over us and he's building and blessing and, and just working with what we're doing. And so the point of this passage is not to go home and be lazy. The point is to, to work hard, but to work hard by faith, work hard like a Christian. And what that does when we go home and we work hard by faith, it prevents us from slipping into that sleepless, anxious type of work, or that sleepless, anxious life. And instead, it kind of, on the flip side, it helps us to start living and working with more of a restful, tranquil mind. We work hard. And we trust God to do what we cannot do. Um, which is why the next part of this passage moves forward. It says, it's vain that you get up early, you go to late, go to go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Like sleep is a gift that God gives us. Rest is a gift. And, and it's important for us to remember that God gives us these gifts because he loves us. And he designed us that way. God created us to need sleep, and then he gives us the gift of, of sleep. And so God hasn't designed us to live like a sleepless, anxious life, but he's designed us to live uh, a restful, peaceful life as, as we work hard. And uh, I don't remember who I was listening to that asked this question, but I thought it was profound and I had never thought about it and he said have you ever asked have you ever wondered why God created us 
to sleep a third of our life? I mean, think about that. We have 24 hours in a day. You're supposed to be sleeping eight hours a day, which is a third of your life. And so God designed us so that a third of our life would be spent laying dead to the world with your mouth probably hanging open and a little drool coming out of it. And he designed it that way. And we wonder, like, why would he do that? Isn't that, that's a waste of time. I'm, I feel like I'm wasting like a third of my life just lying dead to the world. Why would God, I mean, he could have created us so that we wouldn't need sleep. He could have created us so that we would live, you know, we could stay awake 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if, can you imagine if, if we actually were that way, we could, we could get so much work done. We could care for our families in a different way. We could, we could build the church. God, if you would have created us different, we could have built the church better. You know, if we just had all of this time, you know, we, and then we start thinking that. And when we start thinking that way and living that way, we're not treating sleep as a gift anymore, are we? We're treating sleep like a curse. And like sleep is this thing that God makes us do. And, and that sleep hinders us from actually doing all of the work that God has given us in the world. Like, like we act that the gift that God gives us of sleep is a curse that holds us back from accomplishing God's purposes in the world. Crazy, um, and so it's this reminder that you know your sleep, needing eight hours of sleep, isn't preventing you from doing what God has called you to do in the world. Getting eight hours of sleep isn't holding you back from accomplishing all the things that God has given you. It's a gift from God, and so we need to accept it as a gift, um, use it like a gift, and then I, I say enjoy it like a gift. And, you know, one of the reasons I was thinking this week, one of the reasons why God created us to sleep a third of our lives is to remind us that we're not God. God's the only being that never slumbers or sleeps. And he created us to sleep a third of our life away to remind us, you are not me. You are not as big of a deal as you think you are. And so, for a third of your life, you're going to lay dead, unconscious to the world. Guess what? The world will continue to do its thing without you. And it's a reminder that like, the world moves on without us. Like, you went to bed last night, you got up this morning, and the world didn't fall apart while you slept. And it's a reminder that because you're not the one in charge of the world, our God is in charge of the world. And so... There's this level of, to like really make our lack of sleep serious. There's a level when we, when we reject sleep, it's a rejection of our being a creature and us trying to take the position of God saying, I don't want to sleep, I've got too much to do. And God's saying, I told you to sleep this morning. And you're saying, I don't want to do that, I want to be like you. And I don't need sleep. And so it's this rejection of our position, trying to take the position of God. And it's, and it's bad just because it's a rejection of this gift. I mean, God's saying, I gave you this beautiful gift of sleep. Take it. And we're like, nah, I don't like that gift. And then to kind of build upon that, there, there's a couple of different ways this passage can be translated. So, uh, and I think the psalmist, the psalmist are, you know, it's all poetry, so they, they like to put like double meanings in things. And so on the one hand, the ESV says, 
Like he gives to his beloved sleep. Like he gives us this gift. But it could also be translated that he gives to his beloved while they sleep. And it's this other like reminder for us that even while we're asleep, even while we're kind of dead and unconscious to the world, God continues to give us other gifts as well. He continues to pour out blessings on us while we're dead to the world. It's a reminder that not only does God not need us in the world, but he continues to work and bless us even when we're not at work. He continues to build your house. He continues to watch over your family while you're asleep. And so again, it's this reminder for us that we need to live with gratitude, that our God is the one doing this building and watching in our life, but also humility. And in the psalm, it takes the first, like, two verses and kind of lays out these principles. And then the last, you know, verses 3, 4, and 5, it applies them to a particular situation. And so we, we can apply this to lots of different areas, but the psalmist decides to apply them to our homes and the way we raise our children. And even for many of you, I would say, for the way you raise your children, who are adults still, but also your, the way you help raise your grandchildren. And the psalmist begins by reminding us, not only is sleep this gift that God has given you, uh, but so are your children. Um, your children are a gift from the Lord. They're a heritage from the Lord, which is just a generational gift that goes from generation to generation to generation. And uh, it's a reminder that like, we're never to act or live like our children are not a gift, like they're a curse. Or like our children are the ones that are holding us back from accomplishing all that God wants to accomplish in the world. And it's sad because I see this a lot, especially in our current in our current culture. I, I see a lot of people say, I'm not going to have any kids until I get my career established, until I get this established, because kids are going to hold me back from doing what God has called me to do. And I always remind them, like, that's not the Bible says. Actually, the Bible tells you, your kids are your call. Your kids are your primary mission in the world there and and so you can't like neglect your family trying to trying to fulfill your calling in the world or trying to earn a buck or whatever and and you can watch people like spend sleepless nights right trying to kind of move up the ladder they they live this kind of sleepless anxious life and then totally neglect their family in the middle of that and this passage is reminding us like if that's what you do that's wasting your life. That's not the way God has designed you to invest your time. Um, that It's actually a reminder, like, if you want to change the world, if you want to fulfill your calling, raise your kids. Pour into them. Disciple them. Which is why this passage calls our kids, and this is a, an analogy I'm trying to kind of restore, but this passage calls our kids arrows. Our kids are arrows, and, and if we start to think of our kids more like arrows, it, it helps us understand that our kids are actually weapons of warfare. To be shot out into the world to do damage against Satan's kingdom. And, and it changes the way you start to raise your kids when you recognize that they are an arrow. Um, you stop trying to raise them like, okay, my duty is to raise good kids who are obedient and are polite and like those are part of that sure but that's not the goal that's like raising nerf darts 
the goal is to raise arrows. Like, so as you're raising your kid, you're thinking, how can I make sure that they're straight, right? That the shaft is straight, they're gonna fly straight when they get out into the world. How can I make sure that I'm sharpening them so that they are effective and efficient? And actually, I would use the word deadly in their own way so that, that when we shoot them out into the world, they're going to do damage against Satan's kingdom. And, and it's also this reminder that not only are we trying to raise our kids to do damage on the world in, in a good way, um, it also is a reminder that our kids were never given to us to hold on to forever. An arrow's job is not to stay in the quiver forever. The arrow's job is to be shot. And so as you're raising your kid, it's important for us, I think, to start thinking about, okay, how am I straightening the shaft? How am I sharpening the point? How am I aiming them out into the world? And then there comes a point where you say, I'm letting go. And there they go out into the world, and they're doing damage on the kingdom of Satan. And that's really how this passage is telling you. That's your calling, and that's how you're going to change the world. And it reminds you that if you do that, you won't be put to shame. It says, if you raise your family this way, he will not be put to shame when he speaks, even with his enemies at the gate. And, and I've talked to a lot of people over the years who, who have said, well, if I take extra time to spend with my family, like my coworkers and my boss, they're going to they're gonna like shame me and look down on me. Because I'm not all in for the company. I'm not all in for the business. and So I'm going to receive shame for not caring for my family or for trying to care for my family. So I'm going to pour my energy in over here. And this reminder is actually if you neglect your family and you don't shoot them out into the world like arrows, um, that's when you'll receive shame. But if you invest your time and energy and you raise your kids like arrows, you straighten them, sharpen them, you aim them, you fire them out into the world, um, then even your enemies will look at you and go, yeah, that was good. They invested their time and energy wisely. And yet, in the midst of all of that strong language about changing the world and sharpening our kids, we can't forget the primary point of this passage is that the Lord's the one who builds our house. The Lord's the one who actually gave you children in the first place. You think you didn't, <laughs> but God did it. He gave you children as a gift. And, and the Lord's the one who comes alongside and helps straighten our children and, and sharpen them and helps us aim them into the world and helps us fire them out into the world. The Lord's the one that does that work too. And so in the same way that we're not called to go to our jobs or live these kind of sleepless, anxious lives out in the world, we're actually not called to parent that way either. We're not called to parent with this sleepless anxiety, always worrying that we're, whether we're doing enough, always worrying about what's going to happen. Always, No, we're supposed to do what we can do and trust God to do the rest because he's the one who builds our house. He's the one who builds our children. He's the one that shapes them and shoots them into the world. And guess what? He's watching over them and he's building them as well. And, and really, like that's the calling of every one of us. Whether you have a family or not, whether you have kids or not, your calling is, is to go out each day and live by faith. Go to work by faith. Fulfill your calling in retirement by faith each day. And so 
For those of you who are working a regular nine to five job, you get up in the morning, you head off to work by faith, and that means you go off to work trusting that the Lord is the one who blesses the work of your hand. The Lord is the one watching over your life. He's the one that builds. And so you go to work, you work hard, but you work with a peace and a rest, knowing that God's the one who's doing that work. And then you come home from work, and you go and you raise your kids by faith. Again, trusting that the Lord's the one who builds your house, and the Lord's the one that sharpens your arrows. And so you, you don't parent your children with this anxiety and fear. You do it by faith, with a peace. It's hard, but you do it with a peace and a restfulness, knowing that God's the one who's, who's watching over and building your house. And then you go to bed on time by faith. Trusting that God's gonna that God's been watching over your work throughout the day, that God's gonna continue to watch over you and bless you while you sleep. Even while you're dead to the world, God will continue to work, and so you lay your head on the pillow and you restfully and peacefully go to sleep. And trust that God has blessed your work throughout the day. He will keep blessing you while you sleep, and he will continue to bless your work in the future and build your house and you trust he's going to do it again tomorrow and he's going to do it again the next day and so then you go to sleep let's come to god in prayer heavenly father we come and just give you thanks and praise for the way you watch over us the way you pour out blessings on us each and every day the way you build our homes the way you bless our work the way you watch over us we thank you that you're a God that neither slumbers nor sleeps, that you're always awake, you're always watching and blessing and working. We're so thankful for that truth because that frees us to be able to rest and trust you. And yet, Father, we come to you and we ask your forgiveness because often we, we don't live like that's true. Often we live like all of our, all of our efforts, like the world revolves around us. We act like you're not the one ruling and reigning. And so, Father, we come to you, we ask your forgiveness. We're sorry that we so often live like we're God and we're not. And so we ask that you would forgive us for that, but also that you would stir this truth in our hearts and remind us that you're the God who rules and reigns over the earth, that you're the God who rules and reigns over our life, and that you've, and that you've called us to live and work in this world by faith, trusting in that reality. And so we pray that you would stir that in us and help us to go home this afternoon and raise our families by faith, trusting that you're the one building our homes and help us to experience that peace and rest. And help us to go to work tomorrow by faith, trusting that you're, you're blessing the work of our hands and that you're building our job and watching over our career. And then help us to go to bed by faith, trusting that you're watching over us and that you're working. And help us to sleep peacefully and restfully, knowing that you're the God who's in control. And all God's people said, Amen.